Well, good morning, Grace Church. My name is David. Great to be with you here today on a much warmer weekend than when I was here last. I was uh, here, I recognize some of you, I think, from when I was here in November. It's great to be here uh, in the summer as well. Uh, our word today is from Psalm 16. You can find that on page 453 of your pew Bibles. Hear the word of God to you today. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray for us again. God, thank you for your word to us today. Open our hearts that we might receive wonderful blessings from you. Do this by the power of your spirit in us, and for the sake of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how so much of how you experience a situation depends on who is with you? Like, for example, uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, or, and my son, we were visiting my family outside of Chicago. And my wife and I had a wonderful night out with just the two of us. It was a nice night outside, so we decided to wander around the town a little bit and find a place with some outdoor seating, a, um, some good ambiance, and hopefully some good food. And after wandering around for a bit, we eventually settled on this Mexican restaurant. And the food was okay. It wasn't the best Mexican food that I've ever had. But it wasn't the food that made that night so enjoyable. I could have gone to the best restaurant around, but if I went by myself or with someone else, it wouldn't have been nearly as enjoyable as that meal that I shared with my wife. Because what made that night so fun was being with her, being in her presence. So much of the quality of an experience depends on in whose presence we are. A meal is made so much sweeter by sharing it with someone whom you love and who loves you in return. The psalm today is about the blessing of living in God's presence, in the presence of someone who loves you far more than you could ever even know, and who desires for you to love him in return. The psalm is, and the entire thing is this long crescendo. Each section builds on the last as David recounts the many blessings of living in God's presence. And the song continues to rise until we get to this joyful, blasting melody of praise at the end. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That last verse is the main point of the psalm and the main point of what I have to say here today. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. But it begins with the simple, understated notes in the first verse as David confesses that he has chosen to live a life in the presence of God. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I have a God-shaped hole in my heart that I need you to fill. It's not that we have uh, the foundation and, and we just need God to make up for what we lack. No, David says, I have no good apart from you. And this is very different from the mindset which we can be tempted to have that says, what I have, I have because I earned it. I worked hard to afford this house or to send my kids to this school. I worked hard to get to this point in my career and I deserve this car or this vacation. The biblical mindset is different. The biblical mindset says, everything that I have, I have because God has given it to me. It's not that you didn't work hard to save for your family or to save for your retirement. It's that even the ability to work hard and the opportunities that were afforded to you are a gift from God. When I was younger, I had uh, a small company for teaching music lessons, and I named it Zakhar Music. Zakhar is the Hebrew word for remember. And I named my company this because of a passage in Deuteronomy that uh, warns the Israelites about this same topic exactly. So this is uh, long before King David, before the Israelites entered the promised land, and God warns them in this way. This is what he says. He says, Beware, when you enter the promised land, beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember, Zachar, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to produce wealth. And why? That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So even the ability to produce wealth is a gift from God. So the biblical mindset is not that this good that I have, I've earned for myself. The biblical mindset is all the good that I have was given to me by God out of his abundant goodness and promising to bless his people. The biblical mindset is I have no good apart from you. And therefore, I will make you my refuge. I will seek to live in your presence. I named my company Zachar Music because I wanted to always remember that it is the Lord who gives the power to produce wealth. Now, I did not get wealthy from that business. The Lord did not choose to give me that power, I guess. Um, but I can say to you today that God has always provided for all of my needs and so much more. 
I've always had plenty to eat, even if it was ramen. I've always had a place to live, even as I traveled across the world and moved all over the country. And he's blessed me with so much more, too, with good food, with friends and family. He's now blessed me with a caring wife and a fun-loving son, cool walks on a, on a summer evening. He's blessed me with so many good things. And now take this one step further. Not only has God blessed you with many good things in this life, I'm sure you can all think of some of those things, but he also forgives all your sins, redeems all your regrets, makes you to look more like him, comforts you when you're lonely, gives you peace when you feel overwhelmed, and assures you of life forever with him. If that's true of you, then let this be your prayer. Say, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In the rest of the psalm, David describes some of these blessings, the good that we have from God. And first we see the blessing of community. Look at verse 3. It says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. When you seek to live in God's presence, you join the body of all of God's people. One of the blessings of living in God's presence is the presence also of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you what, every week I am blessed by the people of God. Like recently, I uh, was encouraged by a conversation I had with someone who, uh, whose boss invited him unexpectedly into his office and basically told him to quit. Not technically firing him, but basically said, hey, you should, you should quit in, in so many words. It was very unexpected and incredibly stressful, I would imagine. And yet when I spoke with him later that same day, I had such a great trust that God was going to continue to provide for him. It was such an encouragement to me to see his faith. Or a couple days ago, a friend texted me just to say that he was thinking of me and that he was praying for me. I remember, too, when I was younger and living far away from my family, and I was in a, a moderately bad bicycle accident. I'd have surgery and... Uh, couldn't really move around much for at least a week. But a family from my church took me in and took care of me. They filled out my prescriptions. They uh, cooked me meals and brought it all to uh, me laying immobile on their couch. And it was such a blessing that I'll never forget uh, to have their help in a time of need. One of the ways God's des God desires to bless you in this life is through the love and fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you've experienced that blessing of God. And I know it can be hard to build those kinds of relationships, but it's so worth it. Join a grace group. Ask the person next to you right now, ask out for coffee. This is one of the ways that God desires to bless you. 
In the next verse, verse 4, contrasts those who follow God with those who run after other gods. Look at what it says. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. This is the exact opposite of verse 2. Instead of confessing, I have no good apart from you, they look outside of God for happiness. And as a result, instead of God multiplying his goodness towards them, their sorrow is multiplied. This language is meant to remind us of Genesis 3, the fall of man. Part of the curse that we read about there in Genesis 3 is that our sorrow is multiplied. We have no good apart from God, and as Adam and Eve are cast from God's presence, their sorrow is multiplied. And this verse here says that those who run after other gods, their sorrow only continues to multiply. And we've all experienced this. You can run after the God of success, but living in that God's presence only multiplies anxiety. Leaves you feeling like an imposter, and maybe even leaves behind a trail of broken relationships, sacrifice on the altar of success as you put your job above your friends and family. We can run after the god of materialism, thinking that new car or that shopping spring will a shopping spree will make us happy, but it just fades to emptiness. But if you, like David, run after the Lord, if you choose to make him your God, if you seek to live in his presence, then rather than your sorrow multiplying, God will multiply his blessing towards you. That's what this next section is about. Verses 5 through 6, the language here is meant to Um, or it alludes to the allotment of the promised land to the tribes of Israel. And relating this back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, he cast them out of the Garden of Eden, away from his presence. But when God brought his people into the promised land, it was the beginning of him reversing that curse. It was God coming again to dwell with his people, to bless them rather than to curse Now, in order to understand this section, you need to know uh, what God promised the tribe of Levi. When God brought his people into the promised land, he gave each tribe an allotment of the land, except the tribe of Levi. And to them, he said, in Numbers 18, I'll read it for you, and listen to the similarity to verse 5 in our psalm. He said, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them among the other tribes. And then here's the crucial part. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, the Lord himself was their inheritance. Now, what does that mean? Well, he explains it a couple of verses later. This is what he says. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. So the Lord was the Levites' inheritance meant that instead of providing for them by giving them an allotment of the land to farm, like he did for all the other tribes, he he provided for the Levites by giving them the tithe of the people. 
So the wine, the, uh, the fruit, the animals, the oil that all the other tribes brought as a tithe to the Lord, God gave to the Levites as an inheritance. And this is still how God provides for pastors today from the tithe of the rest of God's people. And so here's the principle. What belonged to the Lord, the tithe, he gave to the Levites. The Lord was their portion. What belonged to him, he gave to them. And in the psalm, David generalizes this principle. He says that just as the Levites, or just as the Lord was the Levites' inheritance, just as what belonged to the Lord, he gave to them, so too what belongs to the Lord, God gives to all of his people. Out of the abundance of all that he is and all that he has, the Lord provides for you. And David knew that this went well beyond the inheritance that God gave his people in the promised land. David wrote this psalm while living in that inheritance and even while bringing his people to a new height as a nation. But he knew that our inheritance is something far greater than anything on this earth. Our inheritance is God himself. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're at work tomorrow and you receive this hand-delivered parcel and you open it up and it's this very formal letter and it says that you have unexpectedly uh, inherited a billion dollars. That's one zero 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 dot zero zero dollars. What would you be thinking? that happens to you tomorrow? How would you be feeling? I'd be thinking it was probably a scam, but if it really was real, then I don't know what I would think. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I can really comprehend that amount of money. But it would certainly change my perspective on life. And I certainly wouldn't be uh, comparing prices on a tube of toothpaste to make sure I got the best deal which I did last week. And I did get the best deal, uh, so that's good. But I wouldn't be doing that anymore, I don't think. I wouldn't be worrying about uh, if I was saving enough for my kids' college or for retirement. I would know that we would be provided for. How much greater is your inheritance in the Lord? How much more unbelievable? How much more incomprehensible? How amazed should we be when we consider what Ephesians 1 tells us, that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, and that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. The inheritance belonging to Jesus Christ, God's own son, is given to you by your adoption into his family. Forget about a billion dollars. How much does that inheritance change your perspective on life? How much peace does it give you when you know that God sees you and will provide for all of your needs? How much does it still your heart to know that God delights to bless you as his beloved son or daughter? In the midst of doubt or uncertainty, how much reassurance does it bring you to know, to contemplate the future that you have with him? How much joy and awe 
does it bring you when you consider being in his presence, blanketed in his glory and love for all eternity? And how much does it cause you to overflow with praise as you wonder at why God would choose you? That's what David does now in the next verse. He blesses the Lord. And he continues to recount the many blessings of living in God's presence. Now he reflects on the blessing of living in God's counsel, or the blessing of God's counsel. Look at verse 7. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I remember when I first felt God's call for me to be a pastor. I was in college, and at the time I was a classical guitar performance major. But at the end of my first year in college, I felt surprisingly unfulfilled. And as I prayed about it and as I talked about it with others, I, I realized that one of the things I really missed was spending more time serving in the church. And over the course of that summer, God gave me counsel, and I came to see that he was calling me to change my trajectory from classical guitarist to a pastor. And it took some time, but in the years that followed, he gradually gave me more and more confidence in that decision and more and more peace in his counsel and following his advice and following his wisdom. And when I reflect on those years, I can't help but bless the Lord who gave me counsel. I sought his wisdom, and he answered. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. Maybe you've experienced the kind of heart-searching that keeps you up at night, like David describes, as you've sought God's will for your career, or for how to speak with your daughter who's wandered from the faith. Maybe you sought God's counsel for how to talk with your kids or about something that they heard at school. As the Lord gives you counsel, whether through scripture or through conversations with others or just by directing your steps, bless him for that. Even right now, if, if God's reminding you of something, of a way that he gave you wisdom, in your heart right now, say, Bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the section, David also blesses God for the strength that he gives him. Look at verse 8. It says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. This imagery of God's right hand is often used for God's activity in battle. It's likely at least part of what David has in mind here. He's recalling the times that God was with him in battle to bring him victory over his enemies. And the same God who was with David when his life was in danger is with you when your marriage is on the rocks. The same God who was with the humble shepherd David to defeat Goliath is with you when you feel inadequate at work or at home. The same God who was with David when there were men seeking his life is with you when the economy takes a hit or a coworker 
is out to get you. Cry out to him in the night, for God is with you, fighting on your behalf. Because he is at your right hand, you will not be shaken. In the last three verses, the psalm rises to its climax. Not only does God bless you with community, with an incomprehensible, uh, indescribable inheritance, not only does he bless you with counsel and strength, he blesses you even in death. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. About a month ago, uh, a friend of mine from Philadelphia called me and said that he just got word that one, one of our friends had uh, unexpectedly died, uh, just 54 years old, and leaving behind his wife and two kids. A couple weeks ago was also the anniversary of the death of two of my grandparents. And as I reflect on those deaths, it saddened me. But as I mourn, I do so with great hope because I trust that those who have made the Lord their God, he will not abandon, or he has not abandoned to Sheol, but has brought them safely into his presence. On the anniversary of his mom's death, my dad, so uh, my grandmother, on the anniversary of, of her death, my dad said to me, I'm very comfortable that it was their time and that they were ready said, I hope to see them again soon. Now, you and I can have wonderful joy in God's presence today. <clears throat> but as great as the joy that we have now, it's only the joy as an exile, living, as seeking refuge in God. It's just a taste of what my grandfather is right now experiencing as he is at home with the Lord. His pain in old age has turned to pleasures forevermore in the face of God. And that same future awaits you too if you trust in him. If you cling to him, God's presence will lead you safely even through death itself. Because of what God promises you in this verse, you can stare death in the face and you can say with the Apostle Paul, you know, for me, to die is far better because it means that I will be with Christ. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. But none of these blessings, community, 
inheritance, counsel, strength, life and death. None of these blessings are anything that we deserve. They're not a good that we have earned apart from God. On our own, instead of confessing, I have no good apart from you, we run after other gods. We take the names of success, sensuality, materialism upon our lips. And for that, we deserve for our sorrow to multiply. We don't deserve a beautiful inheritance. We forsake our Heavenly Father and deserve for our souls to be abandoned to Sheol. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, if you trust in him, all of the blessings, and even more, all of the blessings of this psalm are yours. We read earlier from Acts 2 when Peter preached at Pentecost, and he, he tells us that this, the final verses of this psalm are ultimately a prophecy about Jesus. Because in the end, David, the author of this psalm, did experience death and his body corruption. But Jesus was not abandoned to Sheol, nor did his flesh see corruption. But he was raised from the dead on the third day. And God raised him up from the dead because, as Peter tells us, it was not possible for him to be held by death. Jesus is the faithful son of God who did not run after other gods. He did not take their names upon his lips, but took our sorrows upon himself. That he might earn what Peter calls elsewhere an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus was shaken that you, through all the storms of this life, might dwell with him secure. Jesus tasted death that you might experience life forever at his right hand. Jesus is the one who fully delights in the saints, like this psalm tells us. He so delights in you that he gave his life, that the inheritance that he earned by right, he might share with you. And even more than that, he has given us his spirit as the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance. Being exalted at the right hand of God, he poured out his spirit upon the church at Pentecost. And Christ's spirit is God's presence in you today. The key to fullness of joy. That meal I had a, a few weeks ago was so much sweeter for having shared it with my lovely wife. The life lived in God's presence is so much sweeter. For at his right hand are pleasures forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your promises to us in this psalm. That you bless us with community. 
with a beautiful inheritance, with counsel and strength, and that even death cannot keep us from your presence. And that it's your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. And thank you for your spirit, who is your presence in us as we await the day when we will see you face to face. Strengthen us now by your spirit to live for you, filled with joy and hope. And do this for the sake of your son, in whose name we pray.